This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you ready to make a difference in the lives of fathers and their families? Support the Show Up Dad podcast and empower the next generation of dads to lead with confidence and love. Your donation of 50, 100, and 250 can provide a dad with essential resources. We'd also like to introduce to you our incredible partner, Tallman Equipment. Since 1952, Tallman Equipment has been the leading provider of top quality lineman tools. Their reliable and durable equipment ensures safety and efficiency on the job. If you're in need of trustworthy tools, look no further than Tallman Equipment. Don't forget to visit our online shop at the Show Up Shop, myshopify.com, for high-quality products that support our cause. From t-shirts and hoodies to stickers and children's clothes, we have something for everyone. By purchasing from our shop, you not only show your support for our cause, but you also will be getting a high-quality product. So I just want to welcome everybody to our show today, Show Up Dad. We got an interesting guest here, Connor Trombetta. I just want to welcome to our our show. Um, Connor is a San Diego-based lawyer with an impressive background. He has served as a special agent with Homeland Security Investigations, a deputy district attorney with Contra Costa County, say that right, and an associate attorney with Quinn Emanuel, one of the nation's top litigation firms. He's a graduate of San Diego State University and Georgetown University Law Center. Connor now runs Trombetta Law, advocating for individuals and businesses facing injustice. So get ready to be inspired as we delve into Connor's journey and the importance of legacy advocacy or legal advocacy. Welcome, Connor. Thanks so much for having me, David. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here and to be a part of such a great mission. For sure, man. Well, Connor, man, I, 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 I saw you, dude, and I was like, man, this guy has an interesting story. You know, I need to, I need to find out a little bit more about this guy, you know. Being a, a former wrestler myself, I've always been drawn to other wrestlers. And uh, I recently, let's see, not even recently, it was about a year ago, I got to interview a man who won the Masters, right? He went to the Olympics uh, for wrestling in his 40s, and he went from homeless to, to world champion wrestler. I thought that was pretty interesting. He was on Sports Illustrated. And um, I always like just interviewing wrestlers, you know, just because of the, the training that's involved the level of uh, endurance it takes both mentally and physically and just being able to transpire that strength that you learn from that sport, right. into something greater like you did yourself. So man, thank you for coming on the show, bro. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that so much. And, and, you know, it's so true when you say that you're drawn to other wrestlers because I'll meet somebody out in public or, you know, at a networking event or something and we'll, and we'll be chatting and slowly one of us will recognize that the other person used to wrestle and we'll, 
one of us will inevitably ask the other person, oh, hey, did you wrestle? And it's almost like this weird intuition. And it's unlike any other sport where you, when you know that another person uh, also went through the journey that is becoming a wrestler, um, you automatically have this immediate rapport and, and connection, unlike any other sport. Um, and it's also funny that you mentioned doing the, the background research for me, because it's as I've progressed with the firm, we started to have more digital media, uh, you know, and web presence. But in the early stages, people would Google me and, and all that would pop up would be my old high school photos of me wrestling. And I'm sure your school had it, too, where we have these funky like playoff traditions, right, where we have to like mm -hmm. bleach our hair. And they're like, you're not a blonde anymore. And I'm like, no, I never was. It was it was a temporary thing. It wasn't a fashion move. It's tradition and it's part of the wrestling thing. You know, I don't expect you to understand it. But um, yeah, it's so true. And um, just such a great community and a great foundation to come from. Well, no, I, I can't agree with you more, Connor. Let's let's dive into this, brother. Can you tell us a bit more about your experience growing up with like a single mom and how that shaped your motivation and drive. Let our, let our audience know where you came from, brother, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. So came from a small town up in Northern California, uh, Napa, obviously known mm -hmm. for its wine, right? Wine region famous, but uh, raised by a single mom. Um, I've met my dad one time in my life, uh, but otherwise was, was pretty much MIA, right? And so mm -hmm. my mom and I have always just had this amazing, unique um, relationship because at a very young age, uh, I took on a lot of responsibility and we, and we ran our household more like a team than we did, you know, her kind of being the, the chain of command uh, and, and passing down the orders. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like she's a, a, a very classic Italian mother. So when she needed to, she would, but it was a lot of us figuring things out together. And I can vividly remember things like going to my first football practice and looking at the pads. I was eight years old. Right. And we're looking yeah. at the thigh pads and the knee pads. And I'm like, She's like, I don't know which one goes where. So I ended up showing up to practice, you know, with my with my thigh pads on my knees and my knee pads on my thighs and funny things like that or learning how to like tow a trailer, right? Like neither of us had ever towed a trailer before. And so we just kind of figured those things out together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, growing up in the community, playing sports, being surrounded by um, a lot of, of, you know, I have a close group of seven friends and we've been friends since basically elementary or preschool and all of their fathers, you know, were definitely role models, but it was just kind of me and her. And so when I looked at it from that lens, I was like, just immediately motivated to prove that I could do everything that any of these other young men and women were doing with a, with a full, you know, traditional family. And mm -hmm. she really became that motivation for me. And so when it was, you know, on the wrestling mat, um, training, um, when, you know, when we would celebrate wins, it was like, I still remember like winning tournaments and running up and giving my mom a hug and dedicating mm -hmm. things to her. And, you know, those late nights in the, in the library during law school, grinding away, um, it was always her in the back of my mind and wanting to honor the amazing woman that she is and the great job that she had done raising me, filling that gap and, and, and wearing, you know, wearing two hats. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and it still to this day is, is a huge motivator for me, right? Um, you know, with, with everything I do, she's always in the background and her, her you know, her, her guidance and, and words of advice and her baseline philosophy still carries a lot of the principles that I carry today. Yeah, I, I thought that was interesting 
you know, because you're absolutely right. Something as simple as learning how to hook up a trailer or even drive a trailer or, you know, all these different things that a, a father shows his son, right. And how you guys both had to work together as, as a group, you know what I mean? As, as, as a, as a force, you know what I mean? To, to learn this and grow together, you know, um, I always like to ask a question for, for guys who grew up with a single parent, right? How did you see looking back the effects that it, it, it took on your mom? You know what I mean? Like, did mm -hmm. you see her like super tired and, and you know what I mean? Like, was there any kind of a role that you played where you're like, come on, mom, you're okay. Or anything like that, you know? Or you yeah. I mean, her? you know, she, gosh, she is, and she'd, she'd never admit it, you know, like I, I called yeah. her today before I went on and was like, you know, looking for the pep talk. And she's like, oh, I didn't do anything. I just brought you onto this earth. And I'm like, oh, you're, you're too humble, right? But she was always that woman that like did not want me to see any mm. like that, that vulnerability in her. And so there were moments I remember like we had just moved into this new house together and we had a dog. And I remember we came home in our, and we had those those wooden shutter blinds um, that yeah. like, you know, collapse up and there, I guess, you know, little me, I don't know, but I guess they're apparently very expensive. And we had come home and the dog had torn down all like every single set of blinds in the entire house. And she mm. was just like disheveled. And, and, and we we're like, she's like, all right, but I still got to get him dinner. You know, I still got to get this things taken care of. So we're, she's just like, they can just tell she's, you know, she's going through it right now, dealing with a dog and a kid. And, and and managing work in her own life, right? Mm. Um, and just like going to the grocery store and like, we're just like lost putting things in, you know, in the grocery cart. But um, I think that's one of the things though that I that I most admire about her, right? Is, is that work ethic and that balance. And I think it ties back to a lot of what I've heard from you in your previous podcast. I think the most recent one with your wife is just that prioritization of being a parent. And she mm. really just, nailed it in that respect where she, I always came first. I mean, she always, always had a job, always worked, but with every job it was, it was, Hey, my son, you know, I take care of my son by myself. I need to be off at this time to pick him up. If that means I got to come in early, I will. And, you know, he wrestles. So that means Saturdays I go to the tournaments and Wednesday nights I got, I have dual meets. Mm -hmm. um, but she, I, and I can honestly say this, she has only missed one match in my entire life that I wrestled. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was because she, her as myself, I, I think I inherited it from her. We are directionally challenged and she actually got lost on her way to the tournament. So she showed up and I, and I remember her just being so upset. She's like, I missed the match. I'm like, there'll be more, don't worry. Um, but I think that, you know, and, and I carry that with me today because it's so easy in a high demand lifestyle, whether when I was, you know, serving as an agent or with a legal practice, especially to just let the work occupy at all because it, it never stops mm -hmm. and there's always more that you can be doing and and always more that can be done on projects with clients on cases and i have to sit back and remind myself that like i like the analogy of life is like a glass right yeah. and you can fill it with as many liquids as you want but once that glass is full it's full so you gotta you gotta make a conscious decision on how you want to fill that glass and what you want to be in that glass and the percentage breakdowns and i think she has been an amazing you know, inspiration for, for how yeah. to do that, um, as a single parent. No, for sure. Um, I think a lot of times moms base their value on what, what, how they parent their children. Right. I know that's mm -hmm. something that my wife, uh, 
brought to my attention. You know, she was really upset. She, uh, she had missed a meeting for my daughter. She cheerleaded for, uh, Centennial high school, which is a really big football program out here. I mean, all their, you know, football games are televised and everything like that. It's, it's really pretty prestigious, but, uh, my wife missed uh, a meeting, right? And uh, I specifically remember her being so down about it. And I'm like thinking to myself, you know, why are you mad? It's just one meeting. There's going to be plenty of, of meetings, you know? And she's like, you don't understand. I don't want them to think that Nakota's mom is, you know, whatever, you know, absent or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So after dissecting it and talking to her and kind of walking her through that, we finally realized that. And I, this is my realization too, is that women put a lot of uh, emphasis on on being able to be there for their children. And when they're not able to do so, they take that upon themselves, right? They, they, they personalize that, right? As a personal failure on their behalf. Yeah, so. absolutely. And, I, and actually, it's funny because I was listening to that same podcast and your wife was discussing the, the cheerleading tryouts and her history with it. Mm -hmm. Um, but, and I, and I, and I, and I completely agree. I think, you know, my, my sister, uh, we share the same father of different mothers, but, and my mm -hmm. mom, it's, it's something that I think as the, as a male counterpart, whether as a, a son, a brother, a husband, um, we, you know, need to step up and recognize that like, you know, both my mom and my sister told me like, the minute that I had my, my child, like the entire, the entire world changed, my entire perspective on it changed. Like that is the, you know, the number one priority and there's, and it's our job as their counterpart in whatever capacity to mm -hmm. provide that support, to have that understanding, to engage in that, in that communication that, you know, supports them, um, provide those words of affirmation. Right. And, mm -hmm. and really strive to understand um, where they're, where they're coming from and to help facilitate them and feeling like they're doing, you know, the, the amazing job that I, that I know they are. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Right. Um, I think it's pretty interesting also how the bond between son and mother, how strong that is. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking now and it's like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm closer to my mom than I am my own dad, you know, and that's the same way my brother was. Um, and I see that now, even with my two sons, they're really, really drawn to mama. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I understand that right now at this, this age where they're at, you know, they mama's mama. That's, that's the yes. first woman in their lives. Right. Yes. So I understand that, you know, and I know that eventually it's going to come a time where they're going to be like, okay, mama, I need to be a man. I need to start doing manly stuff. And that's where mm -hmm. you get the children challenging rules and 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 boys becoming boys and wanting to do these off the wall crazy stuff because you know they want to find out who they are right absolutely and and it's and you're and you're so right there and i and i it's funny because i'm at the age now where my where my friends are beginning to have children and i'm mm -hmm. beginning to see that develop out with them right with their with their children at younger ages and and i think you just you nailed it perfectly right like it, it is this pu perfect, beautiful balance between mom and dad. And, and there are those stages of, uh, you know, through a, through a child's growth, through a young person's growth into adulthood, right. Where mm -hmm. there will be moments, you know, where they're, where because of this, the stage they're at in their development, they're leaning more, you know, leaning more towards mom and, and her caregiving function and her compassion and, 
you know, those types of things. And then, as you said, like, it's, it, you know, boys will be boys. Like we're going to, you're going to grow up. It's, it's good. It's a good thing, right. That you're challenging mm -hmm. and you're beginning to learn boundaries and, and, and push the limits because it, that applies to life. Right. Um, you, yeah. if you're not doing that, you know, both externally and internally, then, um, you know, you're not living up to your full potential, but it really is that, that balance. And I, and I, you know, I can say for my, my, my friend of uh, my group of friends that I really admire the way that they have balanced that and, and begin and have began the process of sort of having that, you know, interplay between mom and dad. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Now you talked about wrestling. Okay. How did that come into your life and what impact did it have on you? Brother, if you don't mind. Yeah, so it's actually a pretty cool story. I uh, I was in middle school, just a scrawny little like shaggy haired kid running around. Um, mm -hmm. At the time, I thought I was going to be a basketball player, and I know you can't see me standing up right now or see how you know see my jump shot, but I promise you, I wasn't making it to the league anytime <laughs> anytime soon, right? Yeah. Um, and my uh, wrestling coach's uh, now wife, but then fiance, was actually my middle school gym teacher. And she was like, Hey, you should, you should go try out wrestling. And I never really put much thought into it. Like I was always kind of like a scrappy little kid. I did a little bit of judo and stuff growing up um, and like karate, those kinds of things, but I'd never like actually wrestled, you know, you wrestle around with your friends and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I was like, all right, yeah, I think, you know, I'll go check it out. And I went, I remember going uh, with, with a friend of mine and we met, you know, the head coach, uh, Nacho Franco, who's, um, you know, obviously is the, as we'll find out is a huge part of my life and a huge inspiration for me. But I met him and he was like, yeah, just like put some, put some spare shoes on, hop out on the mat, like roll around. And I, and like probably halfway through the practice, like once we did after like the first live roll, I, I remember thinking to myself, like, this is it. I am home. I can be great at this. And, and I like, I just, it was like a duck on water, right? It was just one of those mm -hmm. aha moments. And I think for me, like impact wise in my life, it, it completely shaped the man that I am today and, and who I've become. Um, Cause I think the sport, it teaches you that with enough hard work and, and discipline and commitment that you can accomplish anything. Right. Because yeah. unlike other sports, like, you know, basketball, football, baseball, there's inherent physical gifts that make you either like a qualified um, participant in it. And of course there's always exceptions, right? Like, it within the sport but the beauty of wrestling is that like none of that none of that matters right what matters you know your weight your height your physical gifts don't, don't matter it's it's how hard you want to work how much you want to commit to it and like how much of the grind that you really love and mm -hmm. i just think that translates beautifully over into the real world right whether it's life relationships uh, your work you know being a friend anything right is is that's the real world the real world yeah. is is how hard do you want to, how hard do you want to work for something? How committed are you to something? And that doesn't mean that you have to like never quit anything, right? I think there's always a, you know, a right time to walk away from something when it's not the, the right situation for you. But if you know that you are where you're supposed to be and that you're just, but you're just going through a tough time or it's going to take a ton of work and a ton of effort and a lot of, you know, diligence to get there, um, that, that wrestling background just, sets you up right and then as well i'm you know and feel free to jump in whenever you want because i could probably talk all day for the on this but as mm -hmm. a last you know little thing it's it's that 
self-accountability aspect too, right? Because in wrestling, you are the only person out there on the mat. And so when you lose a match, uh, you, lose, you lose a wrestle off, it is, it is on you. You messed something up. You weren't, you didn't bring your A game. You didn't train hard enough. You didn't, you know, do what you needed to do to be the best that day. And so that again is that it's providing that blueprint, that blueprint to life, right? That mm -hmm. you are going to get knocked on your ass. And I promise you like in life, you're going to get handed those losses, you know, at work, you're going to miss out on that promotion. You're going to lose that case at trial. You're going to, you know, have that misstep as a parent or as a partner, but it's like, Hey, all right, I know I'm still committed to doing those things and being great at them. So let's go back to the chalkboard, analyze what we need to do and execute that. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, no, I, I can't agree with you more. It definitely is a proving ground for you for life, you know, because life is not easy at all, you know. But if you can if you can get through wrestling, yes, right, man, everything else you know, is not as hard. No, you're, I mean, you're, you're right. And I, it's so funny because I'll be, when I, when I'm coaching I, and it's so hard to ex explain this to, to, you know, the younger, the, the younger, the athlete, the harder it is, but I'm like, Hey, I'm not, I mean, I'm, yes, I'm here to teach you wrestling and I'm here to mm -hmm. teach you how to be great at the sport if you want to be, but like more importantly, I, I'm providing you with a, you know, again, a blueprint. I'm providing you with a foundation and a structure for how to carry yourself out in life. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, any sport really is, is like, a is on the job training, right? It's, it's show, yes. it's demonstrating that you can show up to something consistently, that you can give maximum effort towards it, that you can handle adversity, right. And that you can, you can succeed and, 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 and show up. Right. It's, and that's just so important. And I like that you said that show up because that's exactly <laughs> what you need to do in life. And, you know, and that's exactly what is required for wrestling you know you have to show up <laughs> you yeah. have to be there you know otherwise you're not going to wrestle you know you're going to get smoked right yeah and uh it it does it, it definitely looking back now it definitely provided me with a with a good foundation you know it was a foundation that i already had there from my father and the work ethic right but wrestling just honed that and just made a better base for me later on in life you know i unfortunately like I, I we talked earlier i had a i was a victim of a violent crime um i got stabbed and that kind of changed my trajectory uh in high school from wrestling i had wrestled since i was you know six years old so i kind of uh took a different route wanted to go to the military and stuff like that um absolutely hated people right <laughs> needed to needed to i felt like i needed to protect myself and everything else right but uh wrestling definitely played a, a major part of my life i remember looking out in the stands and seeing my mom there cheering me on too you know because my dad worked a lot but uh it definitely it definitely creates character for sure yeah absolutely and and i and i think you know like 
I, I, I too, you know, didn't take wrestling as far as I, you know, theoretically could have. Right. But it's, mm-hmm. it's the, it's those foundational years, right. You were in there six years old, learning those lessons at a very early age. And I think, you know, it could be one year, it could be 10 years, it could be 20, um, that the impact is still lasting and it's still substantial, you know, and, and I'm sure it set you up for handling all of this adversity. I mean, yeah, you say you're not a people person, but now, you know, we're on a, we're on a, a, a huge stage here with a podcast with all these listeners and you're, you know, talking to, you know, all these individuals that, you know, are, are, are mountain movers and, and world changers. So, you know, I'm sure there's some aspect of it that carried in with that and your military service. You know, I think they say like the two most represented athletes in like, na- like the Navy SEALs or special forces are wrestlers and uh, water polo players. So yeah, there's got to be something behind that. Oh yeah, for sure, man. That's what I was talking about. My wife, uh, one of the toughest guys I ever met. I can't even say his name, um, but he was on the SEAL teams and uh, he was a water polo guy. And this guy was just phenomenal in the water. I mean, he can just break out of the water, waist height, you know what I mean? And just hold on to that, that ball <laughs> and just be looking around, see where he can throw it, you know? And God, yeah. he was just, he was phenomenal, you know? Yeah. And as a, and as like a pure land animal, I can't appreciate that enough. <laughs> like, I am, I'm not built for the water. I've, I, I, being a San Diegan, I've, I've gone out, I've, I've tried the surfing. I, I'll ride my, you know, I'll ride my skateboard down the boardwalk and that's like, mm-hmm. my, that's my board sport. Right. But yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I have so much appreciation for comfort in the water because it's just, it is just a completely different beast. And if you're not comfortable there, it can, it can dominate you. Well, even physically, I mean, wrestling, I mean, it just gives you that good base, right? Yes. I mean, I feel so much stronger knowing that, you know, just because of, of, of past experiences, past training and stuff like that, if someone tries to take me down, they're going to have a hard time. I, there's okay. no doubt in my mind. You know what I'm saying? Um, yes. So it it just builds that self-confidence and man, it just so, does so many amazing things. It really does. You know, I highly recommend wrestling for, for young boys and, and yeah. now, girls are doing it too, right? Yeah. I actually, I think we, we were chatting about that a little bit before we started the podcast. Um, I read an article the other day that was saying that mm-hmm. um, women's wrestling is actually the fastest growing women's sport in the country. So mm-hmm. you're seeing more university programs implement women's wrestling teams. Um, I think most high school teams in the country right now are just a, are mixed. So you have men's and women's uh, wrestling together, but you're seeing more and more uh, high school programs actually having sufficient numbers to set up their mm-hmm. own women's programs, which I think is just an amazing thing for the sport. Um, an amazing thing culturally. Um, I think that, you know, opening that, opening that up to women and making mm-hmm. the sport more appealing to them, um, and, and more popular is, is only going to sh- like pay dividends down the line, you know, for our society generally. Right. Yeah, exactly. For sure. And then just being a dad, you know, if my daughter wanted to wrestle, I'm glad that there's more women in there to wrestle her, you know, the same gender, not, not, yes. not transgender or anything like that. I don't know. I don't agree with that. I, I think, uh, a, and this is just my personal beliefs, right? Um, a man who can't make it in a man's sport and then all of a sudden he switches genders to wrestle against a girl. I think that is <laughs> not okay. Not okay in my book at all. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's certainly, it's certainly gotten its, its fair share of, 
uh, of news coverage recently. I think I saw a, a post the other day that said, um, "I'm fine with I'm fine with legalizing gambling as long as we, you know, also allow us, to, you know, to, to bet on on the sports with the with the transgender uh, competitors <laughs> as well, right? Because then I'll just be a millionaire." Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I th- and I think you know, I think that the, the bigger picture is just making sure because because wrestling is a contact sport and yeah. you know there is close body contact and making sure that um the proper protocols and procedures are followed and that everybody feels comfortable and that you know you y- you just don't want to even create the environment for mm-hmm. um any concern right and so i think at the end of the day like when i when we're when we're coaching and when we're you know, planning out practices and programs and things like that. It's, it's keeping that in mind because at the end of the day, like that, that's, what's most important, right? We want to make sure that the sport um, continues receiving only positive, you know, news and that everyone that's doing it. I mean, we want them to be uncomfortable while they're wrestling. Like we want them to be challenged, but we don't want to be uncomfortable in that respect. Right. Yeah, for sure. You don't want them getting thrown on their head and (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) But yeah. uh, so, so you talked about Nacho Franco, right? Yes. And, you know, how he, it sounded to me like he was pretty big, like he had a, a major positive role in your life, you know? Um, yeah. Was he looked up to as a father figure for you or? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so it, it kind of ties back to what you were saying, you know, as, uh-huh. as you're uh, a young man hitting those teenage years, you start you know, you have all this energy, you're like, you're, you have all this um, emotion pumping through you and, and all this, you know, just general, like, almost like that, you know, that teenage angst that you've got to, you got to direct it in the right way, or it can be very dangerous, right? Um, yeah. You can, it's really easy to get to go down the right, the wrong path. And you're wanting to like challenge those, those norms and rules and things like that. And, and I think for me, you know, growing up, that was, you know, something that wasn't as big of a deal until I started hitting that age where I didn't have that, that male role model to kind of institute that structure, that grit, that toughness. And it's tough because if you're not raised, you know, with a, a father who you've known as your father, your entire life, you're very like standoffish to the idea of it. Right. And I think it's something that you also talked about in one of your other podcasts where it's like, you want to balance that approachability and appreciation with still being you know, that authority figure who can still render decisions, have those decisions be respected and, and, but then still be approachable. And I think that he did a really good job at that. He was like a little bit younger when we, when we both met. So he kind of had that like coolness factor to him, you know, and as a young kid, it was something that I looked up to. And then also was him basically opening my eyes to like, Hey, commit your energy and commit all of that inside of you to this and here's the Mm. potential payoff right here's here's how you can be great within the sport and in life and i just i i grabbed onto that right it was it was just like a light bulb went on and i and i realized that 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 was um how i wanted to dedicate my 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 life to just not only wrestling but all my endeavors right Mm -hmm. and so you know he was somebody that i was able to confide into i think you know i as a as a young man, it's, it's, there's a lot of topics that you might not want to talk about with mom. Right. And again, mm-hmm. going back to your thing where we, we sort of start to make these transitions and in, in who we connect with more. And, and he really filled that role for me. I mean, one of my most, like my most vivid memories with him are him and I riding to and from practice. He'd, he'd come pick me up either, 
you know, on the way to practice or on the way back, whether it was a, a normal practice or we catch an extra practice on like a weekend day or something. And just having like, you know, young man to, to the wiser, older man, like heart to hearts. Right. And just talking about the most random stuff, just the, you know, girls, life, college, you know, random topics, even outside of wrestling, but like having someone to confide in that with bounce ideas off of, um, and like feel, feel like there was that support there was just instrumental for me in, in sort of paving my way as a young man. And as we've gotten older, you know, as, as we both progress, our relationship has also molded into, you know, developing more of that friendship aspect of it, where he knows now it's less of a, you know, less of an authority figure and more of like an advisor and a collaborator. And so it's been really cool to just kind of watch our relationship progress. And I would assume, you know, it's much like a, a traditional, you know, family uh, role where the father and son kind of have that similar path. Yeah, no, and that's a, that's the importance. That's why I invited you onto this podcast is um, that power of mentorship, right? And yes. just being able to see that in a young boy's life because you're absolutely right, man. You hit that time of age where you start venturing away from mama, you know, you start wanting to, to get out there and lack of better words, put your feet out there and, and see how it is, right? Mm-hmm. And you definitely need that, that male to to show you and guide you and kind of be there for you to, to fill that void. Right. Um, with mentors like Nacho, I thought that was interesting that you said that you wanted to emulate them. And that's the importance of men and fathers and husbands, right? You have to be that person that your children want to emulate looking up to him and, and, and saying how he still had that cool aspect and stuff like that. You know what I mean? It's it, it's absolutely true. I remember growing up and picking out and being drawn to certain men and gravitating towards these certain men that I saw something within them that I liked, you know, whether it be a football coach or a wrestling coach or even in the military. There are certain instructors that I had that I thought were absolutely freaking amazing the way they talk or the way they carry themselves. And I wanted to emulate myself after them as well. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so. absolutely. No, I mean, and, and I think you you nail it perfectly right there, right? Because mm-hmm. as a young man, like, and as a as a, and or woman, really, but like, as a in your youth, what you're exposed to, right, are as as potential mentors, as potential people to emulate. A lot of times, aren't necessarily the the best role models, right? I mean, yep. you know, wh- whether it's like YouTube personalities, rappers, actors, these kinds of people that live in this sort of fairy tale land that's projected to these kids and and it's just not the reality not something that you want to strive to and when you find those you know those individuals in the community that can find that perfect balance of and it's something that I think we're always working on but finding that balance of like being like hey like I'm not just some like square laced up you know person I'm also I, I also have coolness aspects to me as well but like I'm also going to be that person that provides you with a, a strong moral compass and, and mm-hmm. leads by example. And I think that you talked about that a lot as well um, in a couple of your different podcasts. Uh, the one with, um, what was it? Paul Kaler as well. Okay, and he was yeah. like, yeah. And I remember, what were you saying? You like, talking about how his daughter, his daughter learned that courage from him. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I remember I got the chills when I heard that I was like, she absolutely did. Right. And, mm-hmm. and that is what, you know, I hope to continue doing as a mentor. And like, I, I hope that young men and women can take from a mentor is like, 
look at, you know, find that person that, and, you know, find that person that can inspire you and also challenge you to, to live up to your best, to your best self. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what's needed nowadays too. Um, I think too many parents now are trying not to be the parent and trying to be the friend. So true. So true. And it's, it's so detrimental. I mean, it's crazy because now I got parents saying, Hey man, I don't know what I did, blah, 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 this and this. And it's like, well, stop trying to be the friend. They need a parent. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? They need a parent. They need those boundaries. They need love, love on your kids, dude. Yes. Stop, stop taking things so personally. You know, the Bible clearly states that foolishness is stored up in the heart of a child. So when your child does something foolish, and dumb and that's backed by science you know your frontal cortex doesn't fully develop until you're 24 so that means you're going to be doing stupid stuff so don't yes. take it personal when they do that just know that they need more training and that's your role <laughs> you know it is and and it and it starts at an early age too right like i i, mm -hmm. I love the analogy of um the little you know the 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 family that has an older cat and they mm -hmm. get a little puppy right and that cat when is bigger than the puppy when they first get it, right? And that cat's just like laying down the law. The cat's like, "Hey, I'm the head of the household. Don't you don't you think that you run this place?" And then all of a sudden, this dog's you know 100 pound Malinois, and he's still you see him. He's still scared of the cat, right? Because the cat made that foundation. And I think mm -hmm. so often you see that, and you know I've seen it whether it's with the you know the kids I interact with in coaching or or. Um, or elsewhere. And it's like, there's a, you can tell the difference when, when those children have had their parents build that good foundation with them at an early age, mm -hmm. because it, at a certain point, it's like, you know, that, that it's like compound interest, it builds up. And then it's like, you know, these parents are like, oh shit, like I didn't, I didn't lay down the law early. I didn't set expectations early. And, and, and there were negative repercussions as a result. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, and that's not to say that everything, you know, every case is the same or anything set in stone, but um, I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Man, I like that you said compound interest. I've never seen yeah. it like that or worded that way. That's awesome. I'm going to steal I, that from you. I apply it to everything, right? Like I'm yeah. a big, I, like I'm a big self-help book guy. I just read Atomic Habits and it's like, his thing was like a little, a little positive change executed consistently over a long period of time will compound, right? Whether that's the gym, uh, you know, reading your Bible um, spending time with your kids, what, whatever it is, mm -hmm. um, those little additional efforts will, you know, add up at the end of the day. And that could be both negative and positive, right? Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Right. Because that's, you know, the, that, that one, that one time that you allow, you know, a bad day to lead you to having, you know, two drinks after, after work. Well, then that, and then the next day that happens again and that's your go-to thing right and so it's like mm -hmm. you know that's a that's a that's something that i think we all can work on and i'm not saying the in the drinking stage specifically but like recognizing when we are allowing those negative ha like habits to form because they will compound over time and then when you want to break away from them it makes it even harder right mm -hmm. and i think that's where we're at today as a society you know um people now are waking up and and they don't like where america is they don't right 
But it's like, dude, we didn't get here overnight, and you complaining about this next generation, how lazy they are, or this generation doesn't know how to work, and all this stuff. It's like, well, who do you think raised this generation? <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not mm-hmm. wrong. And I, yeah, and I, and I think it's and it's and those, you know, those qualms that we have with society are only worsened by the fact that everything is just a click away, like the, you know, the dopamine hit from scrolling Instagram, we can order any food we want to our door in five minutes. We, you know, like we order something from Amazon, it's on our front porch within a day. Like we're not, and I'm a, I'm a huge, I'm a huge, huge advocate for earning your dopamine. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. and we're just so, you know, we're in this, I think time in our society where everyone expects to be happy and comfortable all the time. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's just not, it's just not the healthy way that our bodies are designed to live and the way that the world should be, right? Like I'm a big believer in the 50-50 rule. Like life is 50% good times and 50% bad times. And there's, and there are, you know, degrees of happiness and sadness within that, but it's a balance, right? And, and we have to be constantly challenging ourselves, have to be constantly seeking that. And I think, you know, just society's lost that a little bit. I think there's a decent Mm -hmm. movement towards, towards breaking away from that, but um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, and I, I agree 100% with you, Connor. Um, there's a passage that I read in the in the scriptures that talked about, I've learned how to, Paul talks about it. And he says that he's learned how to be content in whatever life he's in, whether it be shipwrecked, in prison, being whipped and chained, having the good life, whatever. He's learned to be content, right? And mm. I take that a step further and I look at it like, we need to be not only content, right? Because it's not really the word content. That's not a, a really a great word, but it's not being moved, I should say, right? right. When life throws you this curveball, we can't let that take us down, right? And I think that's where wrestling, you know, plays a big, big part of that, right? For wrestlers, right? Because we, yes. we know adversity, okay? Yes. And I think if people would understand that and exercise that more and not let, hiccups in life slow you down because the only thing guaranteed in life is is there's going to be pain and death that's the only guarantee of life absolutely right? yes and, and you should be thankful for that pain right like I've, I've i've gone through some really tough tough things in my life um you know i've been through been through a divorce been through um you know the trials and tribulations of, of being raised by a single mother you know, through, through law school, all these things, being at Academy for, for Homeland Security for six months locked on a base in Georgia. And you have to appreciate that pain, right? You have to be thankful for it because it's, because all of it is crafting you and molding you into a way that will allow you to be a stronger, better individual on the other side of it, right? As long as you are approaching it from a healthy perspective with good emotional intelligence, learning from mistakes, learning from the adversity and allowing it to be an inspiration rather than a detriment. Right. Like, mm-hmm. um, and that, and that's just, uh, you know, a foundation for me in my, in my, in my life, in my work, uh, everything that I take on is like, you know, I, I signed up for, and even for the things I didn't sign up for, right. Like there's an opportunity for me to learn from that situation, from that pain, from that struggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. and just looking at it as, as as growing moments, right? Yes, sir. Now, uh, Connor, you talked about Homeland Security. Um, 
how was that like, man? I just, I got to ask you, bro. <laughs> yeah. So it's such a, it's such a, uh, it's a cool story. I was, so I was working in big law, uh, mm-hmm. at Quinn Emanuel, which is like, like, I, you know, like you said, it's one of the top law firms in the country. I was just doing working insane hours. I was being paid very well, but just feeling like I wasn't really serving any real purpose. I was just making rich people more rich serving, you know, these mega corporations. And, and I had a really cool mentor, um, in one of my law school classes who had been involved with some, with some federal agencies. And he was like, Hey, if anyone ever is interested in mentorship or wants to talk, let me know. So I hit him up and I was you know, telling him how dissatisfied I was and that I was you know, considering the military, local law enforcement, all these things. And he was like, he looked at me and he said, you have 30,000 days on this earth. The first 10,000 are spent in diapers being told what to do. And the last 10,000 are spent in diapers being told what to do. You get 10,000 of effective days, use them wisely. And I was like, whole, like, you know, holy expletive. I am, I'm sold. Right. Like, yeah. and so he kind of helped me lay the groundwork for getting involved in it. And I shot out all the applications to all the agencies and, um, and then took a job as a prosecutor while I was waiting because you, you never know with the application process, background checks, polygraphs, all that stuff, whether yeah. you'll actually get through. And so when the call actually came through, um, you know, it was kind of this judgment time because I was doing really well as a prosecutor, set up to kind of like take that take that path. Um, and I look and I thought about it and I was like, I mean, it just sounded like way too much fun. Um, it sounded like just an opportunity to be a part of something just bigger than myself and something great, serve my country. Right. Going back to like that dissatisfaction with where our world's at and like the, you know, the, the current perception of law enforcement, it was like, I can be that beacon of change. Right. And so I took on the opportunity and, uh, just, just an amazing experience. I, I can't say that I ever worked with better, with better people, with a better team, with people more motivated to to take on tasks, right? Cause like the, we, we joke in the government, the only reward for good work is more work, right? It's not like a, a profit driven industry where like I arrested three more bad guys than him this year. Like, do I get my bonus? It's like, no, you know, everyone gets paid the same. So everyone is literally just doing it for the love of the game. Um, and just the amount of things that I've, I've been able to learn and be a part of like things that you just think like you see in the movies and you're like, there's no way that they actually do that. We have, I mean, like, you know, recording devices and and like video and and audio bugs and like secret compartments like kill switches on cars um i was one of the i don't know if you saw the news but like i was on our on our swat team when we when we found the the drug tunnel in um in otai so i was like one of the first law enforcement officers in the agents in the country to like see it Mm -hmm. um you know like flying flying all over the like all over the country to do operations. Um, and it was just very rewarding work. I mean, um, I did a lot of like narco narcotics related work, but also had a huge opportunity to work with our human trafficking team and our child exploitation team. And, Mm -hmm. and I can honestly say that, um, so like Tim Ballard, for example, the sound of freedom, he was a child exploitation agent, um, out of (laughs) Calexico actually, but that work is just, it's, it's the most righteous thing I think that any law enforcement agency is doing. And it's, it's yeah. a shame because I don't think it gets enough attention in the media and people don't want to hear about it because of how heinous it is. Um, but those individuals are really just like, I, I just can't speak highly enough about the work that they do and the, and the, and the individuals that they, they take down that just absolutely deserve to be put away and, uh, you know, locked up the key. Right. 
Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was great and, mm. and, and loved the, the experience and what it taught me. I think it was really important for someone like myself. I know like you having served in the military, you came to learn that chain of command aspect that, you know, squared away like prim and proper aspect that you need to carry with what you do. But I really never had that mm -hmm. uh, with, you know, all my other positions. And I think learning that and experiencing that and that team first mentality really set me up well when I decided to branch off and start the law firm. Um, and what really I think motivated that was like me taking a step back and saying like, because I was just working so hard. I was running, running cases on our SWAT team, like is MIA from home, uh, from, you know, from my family, loved ones. And I was like, all right, like, what's the way that I can have the best amount of impact on the community, still advocate for justice, still make things right within the legal system, but do so in a way that I'm, that I'm in control and that I'm able to, you know, take care of my family, take care of the community and really start to take the reins on how we do it. Right. Because I'm sure as you're aware, you know, being, being in the, in the military or in the government, like you are really kind of at the whim of the chain of command and, and you are that cog. And I, and I love being a part of that. Um, yeah. But there was this part inside of me that wanted to, you know, have my own baby, run my own shop, create my own destiny. Um, and if, and the, and the beauty of it is like getting to be able to help individuals um, who are facing adversity while doing that was the, you know, the cherry on top of the Sunday. Yeah, for sure. And it, it, just because you go to the military, that just doesn't mean that that's the pinnacle of your career or anything like that, right? You're always striving to get to that next level like you were. Yes. Um, I think as a man, you you always got to have a purpose. I think that's where a lot of depression sets in when you lose that purpose. And I think we're always constantly looking to fill um, to fill that void, right? To to feel like we're are something a part of something bigger right i know yes. that even in marriages with with men when a man feels like he's not validated when a man feels like he just can't do anything right and his wife is always browbeating him constantly yo you do nothing right uh, i can't believe you're you're not a good leader you're not a good whatever it may be right that man starts taking that personally right obviously and he starts internalizing that and he starts believing that about himself. And that's where that whole uh, depression starts settling in. And how do men deal with depression? It, you know, when you don't deal with it and you don't transfer that pain, it gets transferred and it comes out in anger, you know? Yes. And I, and, and I think that touches down on an even, you know, I couldn't agree more. And it, and it touches down on an even bigger point. And I think you talked about this a little bit um, in your most recent podcast, but like mm -hmm. in the law enforcement community, in the, in the military community, in, in the generally in the, in the, in the male community, there's this stigma against feeling feelings, human feelings, mm -hmm. right. And emotional intelligence and being vulnerable and expressing your wants and needs and, and being allowed to, to be that way. Right. And I think so often like men are, and it's a, a product of our upbringing and the culture that we're raised in, but it's like, Hey, like life's tough, get a helmet, suck it up, show up buttercup. Right. Like, yeah. And so, and, and there's, there's some truth to that. Like sometimes, yeah, you do just need to like show up and, and take on the suck and, and get through this, this tough moment. Um, but also like for long-term health 
both emotional, physical, spiritual, like you need to be emotional. You need to develop that emotional intelligence, right? Whether you're a father, a friend, a husband, a coworker. And if you're not, you know, receiving that, being able to communicate that with your partner to, to get that and have those healthy conversations. And so for me, I, I, I know that I am still a huge advocate for, you know, getting that emotional intelligence, wherever, where, whether it be through therapy, I'm a huge advocate for therapy, love my therapist so much, um, mm-hmm. whether it's through, through your religion, I, I, I'm an advocate for a combination of both, obviously. Um, and that's a huge thing for me, because I think in those communities, and especially in the men's, men's community, we're very hesitant to, to jump into that. Yeah, for sure. No, um, I, I like that you said, you know, religion and you gave all these different examples of how to get that emotional intelligence. I did a, a podcast about emotional intelligence and that's how a lot of companies are going now. You know, it used to be EQ or IQ and now it's EQ is what so they're looking true. for. So and, true. Um, I think now there's a lot of people out there who are super, super in tune to it, trying to be a man. You know, they want to learn how to chop wood. They want to learn how to shoot and you know, they want to do <laughs> jujitsu and all this stuff. Right. But they're missing the aspect of it, which is that emotional intelligence that you need to develop. Um, I was asked as a guest on a podcast, well, what do you do to, to, you know, stay manly or feel like a man. I was like, man, I don't need to do anything. I, I'm trying to learn that emotional intelligence to bring that back down because yes. I'm, I'm over the top with, and yes. I'm not trying to say that to brag or nothing, but I know what it's like to, to chop wood. I know what it's like to go hunting and skinning and fishing. And, and I know what it's like to wrestle and, and everything like that, man, I'm a, I'm a journeyman lineman by trade. That's one of the hardest jobs you could possibly do in the elements. I was just going to say that if there's not a more mod, like a more like quintessential man's man role, it is, it is that. Yeah. And it's like, man, I don't need to do that. I need to tone it down and get that emotional (laughs) intelligence like you're talking about. So I could be more balanced. I think there's an imbalance, you know? Yes, absolutely. And, and I, and I think what I found through my journey with that, and I, and I, it's funny because I'll, talk to my like therapist about it and say, mm-hmm. man, I wish I would have started this earlier because it's like the, the, the more you get in tune with those emotions, the more that you get in tune with like the fact that you're a human, you're supposed to feel bad when something sad happens. You're supposed to feel happy when something good, like you're supposed to feel the, feel the full range of it. And the more that you develop that, I think it allows you to be a more well, well-rounded man. And you, and it's like, and there's, there's, this is the opposite of the, of the glass, right? Like there's no detriment to the other side of it when you're developing, you know, your emotional intelligence, like you can still be a emotionally intelligent individual who understands emotions and communicates those and processes them in a healthy way. And then wake up at, you know, zero four the next morning, throw your plate carrier on and kick a door in. Like, I don't think that there needs to be some divide there and i I think it's it you know it's obviously probably going to be more of a challenge for that type of individual because you are needing to compartmentalize and live in two different kind of worlds sometimes but like yeah it's doable it's absolutely doable and i and i think we don't give our brains enough credit for what they're capable of right and what are Mm -hmm. what we're emotionally capable of 
I agree hundred percent. And, and I like that you said about compartmentalization, right? Cause that's as men, that's what we do. We live in different boxes. Yeah. Um, there's a great book out there. Men are like waffles. Women are like spaghetti. And it talks about how men we live <laughs> in these boxes. Right. And we can only be in one box at once. And if we start hopping from box to box, like, you know, like waffle boxes, yeah, it messes us up. It like throws <laughs> our whole, you know, dynamic off our saggies off. We're, we're done. Right. Yes. And uh, it's true. We tend to spend more time in the boxes that we're most, we feel most comfortable or needed in. And I think a lot of times men feel so comfortable at work that when they go home, they feel like a fish out of water. They don't oh. like that feeling. So what do they do? They spend more time at more work. More time working. Oh my gosh. I think that is, all right, we're going to cut the pot. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that, is, uh, that is like, that is it. Right. And I, and that was me. Um, that was me through law school, through my practice as an agent. Like I knew how to be a good law student. I knew how to be a great agent and a great lawyer. Like, but then I'd come home and I was like, I didn't have those tools and it was, and it, and it hurt and it was tough and it was painful. And I didn't want to feel that. Right. But like mm-hmm. Renee Brown, like that famous uh, psychologist in her Ted talks, like without vulnerability, there is no growth. And mm. without like being like, through pain, we achieve that growth. And, and like, you got to take on those tough topics, those tough conversations, those, you know, difficult embracing of those emotions, because the more that you do, the more efficient you get at processing them in a healthy way. Right. Yeah. You're, you're so right. Men are like, waffles. I'm going to, so you took the compound interest. I'm going to take the waffle one. And then <laughs> now we're, we're even, I've, I have heard young men be compared to German shepherds or Malinois though. Like you have mm-hmm. to give them a task and keep them, uh, exercise because otherwise they'll they'll uh, they'll chew up your slippers and tear up your couch. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? I got two little boys right now. And they it's true. Arrive on direction. Like if I even just kind of just not ignore them—that's the wrong word. But if I just let them do whatever they're gonna do, yeah. they will start tearing up the house. And it's like, dude, <laughs> come on, go pull weeds and okay, what do we need? And then they start pulling out their little gloves and they you know they pull out their little you know and it's like. They like it, you know, they need that direction, you know, and I think for little girls, it's a lot different before they do any kind of task or anything like that. They got to know that they have a relationship with you, right? So Mm. it's a lot different for little girls. And if you're trying to raise a little girl, like you do a boy, it's not going to work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So they, they, they do have different needs that you need to address. I wanted to ask you one thing, Connor, before we get off here and before I give you an opportunity to, to, to reach out to people and let people know how to get a hold of you if they want to talk to you. I know that you've worn a lot of different hats like I have, uh, Homeland Security and all this different stuff, right? So you know the feeling when it comes down to the highs and lows of jobs, right? Um, yes whether it be a police officer, a firefighter, even a journeyman lineman or a military, right? We have these real high highs, right? When you're waiting to, to take down somebody or do a shipboard takedown, or uh, you're going to go fly on a helicopter and work out the end of a skid on a, a 500 KV line, whatever it may be, right? Run into a, 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 a burning building, get in a shootout as a cop or, or take over high-risk traffic, uh, serve a high-risk uh, traffic uh, ticket or whatever, there's a lot of highs and a lot of lows. And when you have those highs, those spikes, it drains you, right? Yeah, And absolutely. when you come home, you don't have nothing left for your family. Have you seen a difference now that you've made that change 
from from uh, Homeland Security and the the, the adrenaline rush and stuff like that? Or how how have you settled into this role that you're in now? Has, has it been hard to do? You, you don't know, mind me I, no, I don't mind you asking at all. And I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, like I, I I still remember like we'd be like sitting on a you know waiting waiting to execute like an arrest or a takedown in a parking lot or something like that. And I'd be like in the va- in the back of like a hot sprinter van. And the, of course, like the AC breaks, right? And you're just like sitting there in your full kit and you're like literally like about to fall asleep, even though, you know, you're like about to do something intense. And then it, it switches on and you're like, boom, hop out, like guns out, that kind of thing. You know, and it's like this, like you said, just this immediate spike and then it, it'll carry. And then all of a sudden it'll be like a few hours later and you'll be like back at the desk. Like this is how crazy the job was, right? Like I'd be like in the field, like guns drawn on somebody, arresting him. And then like two hours later, I'd be like back at the office typing a report, eating a salad and drinking a Diet Coke, right? And then all of a sudden yeah. you're like, you're like, whoa, like I feel like I'm ready for bed right now and it's two in the afternoon. Um, and now, I mean, I think that it's it's funny because like the the, the legal practice has its different types of stress and those different like adrenaline moments, like I still get nervous. Like I still get those same butterflies, like before a wrestling match, before I address a jury or, you know, engage in a closing argument um, or, you know, have a, have a mediation with opposing counsel at four stars. I'm like, there's those like pre-match jitters and I, and it's nice because it kind of reminds me of being back in the day there. But mm-hmm. um, so I would say that it's, it's a little bit different. Yes. Um, because I think the schedule is more consistent. Like there's less, Hey babe, I got to go out at two in the morning and slap a, you know, a tracker on this suspect's car while he's sleeping. And there's, it's more of like, Hey, I just grinded for 12 hours and I'm getting home at 10 PM. Um, so it's, it's like, I, I would say that the stress is comparable as far as the quantity goes, but it's just like the, the way it kind of plays out is different. And for me, I think, you know, my, my biggest recommendation and how I've like come to learn to manage that is, is one like prioritizing yourself. It's not selfish to prioritize your own self-care. Um, yeah. It's like the air, I, I always call it the airplane seatbelt or airplane gas mask method, right? Yep. You gotta, you gotta put yours on before you put your kids on. Cause if you're like passed out from no O2 and you can't put your kid's mask on, well then now you're both screwed. Right. So yep. it's that it's making sure that you're carving out those dedicated times to hit the gym, to meditate, to go for a walk, to ride your skateboard down the block or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And then also, I think it's communicating those like where you're at and where you're coming from with your partner. Right. Like, again, Renee Brown lover, she had a a post the other day that was like, people say marriage is 50 50. Like, it's not like some days Mm -hmm. I have 20 and you've got 80. And some days you've got 80 and I've got 20. And it's like the more you communicate that to your spouse, I think like your partner, especially if you're with, with the right person, will understand that and wants to help support you and facilitate that. So if you tell her, like, hey, I just had a crazy day, like, my buddy almost fell off the helicopter while we were trying to change this, you know, this cable or like, Hey, like we arrested a dude who like pulled a gun out on us today and, I, and I'm mentally fried. Like it's communicating that right. And like verbalizing yeah. it, even just getting it out, talking about it too. Right. Um, and not being afraid to do those things, especially if you're doing it in a healthy way. Man, I, I can't agree with you more, Connor. Well, brother, I just want to give you this opportunity to, uh, tell our audience if, if they want to get a hold of you or whatever, anything you want to share with them right now, the floor is yours, brother. I appreciate yeah. you. Well, and I, and I have to reciprocate. I can't 
Uh, thank you enough for having me on the on the show. It's it's been um, amazing experience. Uh, great great vibe. Great great conversations. Um, I think it, it took uh, took directions that I hadn't even planned, but was just so happy we had a chance to chat about. Um, yeah, obviously would love to just you know let the people know. Uh, you can find me online uh, at Trombetta Law, www.trombetta.law. We're on social media as well, um, Trombetta Law. And yeah, I mean, just excited to be in this stage of my life advocating for individuals who have faced um, you know, any type of injustice. It, it, it gets me excited hearing about the opportunity to help individuals who have been taken advantage of, had, you know, a, who are facing a tough situation and being able to help them through that and be that shepherd to guide them through, you know, the complex, the complexities of the legal system are just, um, uh, I'm just so thankful for, for all these blessings. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely, brother. Well, thank you once again, brother. And uh, we appreciate you and keep doing that good work out there, brother. And uh, we'll be talking to you soon. All right. Thanks so much.